Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for being with us today and bringing us all here. And We pray now as we look into your word that you will, uh, by your Holy Spirit, enlighten us and help us to understand the meaning and help us to be able to interpret it and then to apply it to, apply it to our lives. We ask that you will be with those that are sick and can't come tonight and we... Um, Pray that you'll be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, we're going to look at first, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then when I am done, Don's going to look at Isaiah chapter 7. You know, most of us have heard 1 Corinthians 10.13. In fact, probably a lot of us have, have memorized it. But have you ever looked at it in the context of, of how it appears in, in first in first Corinthians? That's one of the things that we've been trying to um, go over is looking at the context. So let's let me read the passage and then we'll start looking at, at the context then. Chapter ten, verse one. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when we start at one, we see the word the word for. Remember that it usually points us back to what has come come before. So we go all the way back to verse uh chapter eight and um this section is talking about food offered offered to idols and um Paul says that, that one should not eat in a idol's temple as it may lead to destruction of a weak of a weaker brother. And then in nine, he he leaves that topic, or it looks like he leaves that that and and he start, start talking about the apostles have rights. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then he goes through and talks about the different rights that apostles has. But then notice there at the 
end of the chapter, he, he says, um, and starting in verse uh, 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So he talks about to the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Gentiles, became a, a Gentile. And he does all these things for the sake of the gospel. And then at the end there, he says, do you not know, in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline myself, discipline my body, and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So, Paul says, even though I have all these rights, I don't exercise them for myself, but I try to, to become like a Jew, to become like a Gentile to those groups so that I can win those groups. And he says, it is his concern that after preaching to others, that he would be disqualified to himself. And so now, he, he comes and he... He begins in chapter 10, and he's going to show that most of Israel was disqualified during the Exodus and are coming out of Egypt and before they entered the the land. So in these first first five verses, notice the word all is being repeated here. He says, Know that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual rock. But they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So all is repeated. All were in the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, all ate the same spiritual food all drank the same spiritual drink. And what, what's his point here? His point is that even though they experienced all these blessings, the, the whole, all 12 tribes, all the people experienced the same blessings. They, they all saw the mighty miracles of God. They all delivered from Egypt, but yet God was not pleased with, with most of them. So it, it's not a matter of being blessed. It's not a matter of seeing miracles. It's not a matter of of being delivered, but but something more is required and, and because we see that these blessings will not guarantee that God will be pleased with us. Before we go on, let's look at, at five here our verse uh, verse verse four. How does the Old Testament use the expression rock? How does the Old Testament use the word the word rock? Yeah, and even if you go like to Psalm 18 or Psalm or Psalm 31, the psalmist says, you know, God is my rock; He is my fortress. And so, um, the word rock is being used of God, and, and it, it has an interesting place. It says, "For they all, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them." It's almost like it's a figure of speech of where you have this rock rolling along behind the people as they're coming. But 
what is the reality behind the, behind the figure here? Yeah, that that he was with them. Remember, the cloud was with them constantly, so God was with them. So now let's go to this next section where he's talking about. Um, he tells us why God was not pleased with with all of them. He um, he says they were in verse seven. They were idolaters. In verse eight, they indulged in sexual immorality. In um, nine, they put Christ to the test. In ten, they they, they grumbled. So, you know, even though God was with them, God was taking care of them. They still was constantly turning away from God and indulging in, um, I, like I said, idolatry, sexual immorality, or grumbling. Now, in in six and eleven, it's, it says, and these things took place as examples for us. And then in eleven, now these things happened to them as as an example. The Greek word behind the, what we translate example is used is what we get the word type from. And what is a, a type? Do you know what a, a type is? No, T-Y-P-E, type. A definition of type is, it says, um, we got this from the new ESV. I couldn't, all these letters all of a sudden came together. ESV, um, study Bible, but it says that a type is a picture, symbol, or example that God designed beforehand, and he placed in an earlier time to point forward to a later, larger fulfillment. And you think of think of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, Christ is our sacrifice. And now you mentioned temple. Well, you know, Christ in, 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 in John says, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will, I will raise it again. So, so Jesus Christ is temple. And then also in the New Testament, it talks about um, we are the temple full of the Holy Spirit. So um, we see that pictures from the Old Testament have the reality in the New Testament. So here... When he was talking about these are examples for us, they're thinking about the people of the Old Testament point forward to the people now in Jesus Christ. So uh, the church um, is the fulfillment of the type of people in the Old Testament. And it says that these examples or types are written down for our instruction. You know, the people of Israel, they made these bad choices. You know, they were idolaters. They grumbled against God. Um, And so, because they sinned against God, they suffered death as a result. So we can look back and see their sins, and we can learn from them, and hopefully not make the same mistakes that they made. Looking at verse 12 here, he says, therefore, you know, in light of these are examples for us, in that sense, all Israel experienced God's blessing and, and deliverance, but God was not pleased with most of them. 
we ourselves shouldn't think that, all right, I'm a believer, nothing can happen to me. He says, you know, you think you, you won't fall. Paul's saying, you know, he doesn't want us to be disqualified. We too need to be careful. And then 13, we all face common temptations that all people face, but God is faithful and he will always provide a an answer, a, a way out of that temptation. And we need to resist these temptations as they come our way. Um, make, make the right decisions, resist temptations, and don't and don't yield to them. So, to kind of summarize this, blessings and deliverance does not guarantee that we will always make right choices or make right right decisions. We need to trust God and make choices that follow His Word, and then He will provide us a way to to endure the temptation. And and just to put this portion in in context. Um, in 14 to 22, he's, he says basically that we should flee idolatry because behind the idols are demons. And, and you can't partake of the table of the Lord and the, and the table of demons. And then in, in 23 to 11, 1, he says, but whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this is how we, we please God, by seeking to glorify him. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. And so we should imitate Paul as, as he imitated Christ. Okay, uh, let's let's read through the passage. L- let's read uh, seven one to nine first. Come on, somebody read it. <laughs> There's a wordplay that's going on there. If you do not believe. To be firm, to count firm, if you do not count firm and reliable in this promise, you will not stand. You won't continue. So he's threatening him. He's challenging him to belief. All right, let's, let's go back and if you got some pen and pen, uh, pencil or something like that, who? In this incident, who's involved? Isaiah, he's the prophet. Okay. The Lord. The Lord. He's the one who's speaking to Isaiah and telling him what to, to say. Who else? Okay, who is he? Okay. Uh, where is Syria? Yeah, it's it's to the northeast. Between, by the way... Between what? Israel, the northern kingdom, and Babylon and Assyria. Okay, we'll get back to the when in a bit. The problem right now is not with Assyria. I mean, Babylon. The problem is with Assyria. Okay. Uh, Who else? Pekah. Uh, Who's he? He's the king of Israel. By the way, he, he, he's in the succession. They had assassinations, one after another after another in the northern kingdom at this, at this time. The time, and this is the when, the time is 735. Okay, when Ahaz comes to the kingdom, 
and shortly after Pika has come on the scene, he followed Pekahia, who followed Shalom, who followed Zechariah, who followed Jeroboam II, who was this king who was very uh, ruled a long time and who, who under which Israel got all rich and stuff like that. So that Amos and Hosea and all those guys said, you guys, you guys, you know, we were talking about this in our Bible study in Micah. You guys are robbing the poor <laughs> to make them rich. <laughs> yeah, same, same thing going on with Amos. It's going, to, it's going on now a bit, a, a bit later. Uh, all right. Okay, so. In between Assyria and Ahaz in Judah, there are these two kings, Pekah in Samaria, northern kingdom, and Rezin in uh, Syria. Anyway, uh, this scares the daylights out of Ahaz because these two kings have gotten together okay they're afraid of the big bad wolf who is Assyria rightly so by the way because three years earlier Assyria comes along and takes uh, a whole lot of stuff from Samaria and uh, from Syria, All right. and the wolf is at the door. See, so they want him to join that coalition. And if you don't join that coalition, we're going to come along and we're going to kill you and put a friendly king on the throne so that we'll have you in cahoots with us. So what does Ahaz do? And he doesn't tell you, by the way. The passage doesn't tell you. Ahaz, along with his father, has paid tribute to Assyria. All right, and let me jump ahead to the, to the issue. The problem is he's going to jump in bed with the big bad wolf. See, the enemy is not... <laughs> These two kings, what does he say about these two kings? They're burned out embers. Huh? I mean, they're not going to cause you any problem. They're just a couple of, see, they're just a couple of blowhards, just a bunch of smoke. All smoke, no fire. Don't worry about them. It's not going to happen. Who is he going to trust? Is he going to trust in the alliance with Assyria? Or is he going to trust in God? See, if you don't believe, you're not going to stand any longer. They're going to come and they're going to wipe out you. And they're going to wipe out your kingdom. And now the Davidic dynasty is gone. <gasps> Can't have that. Okay, so that's the issue. That's the issue. Okay, that's the what in the passage. Isaiah comes and he, co he confronts Ahaz with the need 
to trust God rather than to trust the alliance that he's made with Assyria. The alliance that you've made with Assyria is going to get you in trouble. All right, and if we don't get any farther, notice how often the king of Assyria appears in the passage. I mean, it's marked in red. The king of Assyria, the king of Assyria, the king of Assyria, the king of Assyria, the king of Assyria. See, I mean, <laughs> this passage is, this is a good passage to show you what we've been doing. All right, 10 to 17. Somebody else? Verse, one more verse. <laughs> he left it at the end. He left it at the end, dangling at the end. See, that's that's his way of, of putting the emphasis on it. He's going to bring such times that it's going to be just as bad as when the ten northern tribes left the house of Judah, left the kingdom. See, I mean, you lost... You lost more than half of the people. That bad. See? Okay, who else are we introduced to here? Well, yes. Okay, Emmanuel and the virgin, the, the, the uh, mother. All right, this passage gets cited in the, Old, in the New Testament. If this passage were not cited in the New Testament, we would not have half the problems that we have with this passage. Because everybody, virgin birth, named Emmanuel, that's Jesus, because he's God with us, and he was born of a virgin. All right. So it's Jesus that's in this passage. Emmanuel is Jesus. But what's the problem with that? What's the problem with that being who Emmanuel is in this passage? For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. How long is that, by the way? When he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. What's that talking about? It's the age of what? A, a child who knows how to choose good and evil. That's normally considered what? The age of accountability. In Jewish, that's bar mitzvah, which is around 12 or 13 years old. All right. If this woman, by the way, is going to give birth to him, and she's a virgin. She's not pregnant. How many years are we talking about? No, <laughs> hardly. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> what was your question? About 13, 14 years. Okay, you start from 7.35 and you go down 12, 13, 14 years. That takes you down to when? 7.22, 7.21. Syria was knocked off in 732. What happened in 722? Yeah. Samaria was knocked off. It was conquered. The people were taken captive and people were brought in. 65 years later, by the way, which takes you about down to 670, 
uh, one of the kings of Assyria did some more taking away, and he brought some more people down. So by 670, was the prophecy fulfilled? Huh? <laughs> That's because Jesus is not, not this child. No, Jesus is not this child. Because the passage is all about this child. And it's all about this time frame. And it's all about Aram. And it's all about uh, Israel. And it's all about Assyria. That won't work. What did we just talk about, by the way, in the passage? Example, 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 type, right? How can Jesus be a type? I mean, how can this be a type of Jesus? Because it's a precursor. It's a precursor. Was Jesus born of a virgin? Was Jesus Emmanuel? Yes, but even in a bigger sense than the Emmanuel of that time. Why did she call that child Emmanuel? Mary did. But why did this woman call the child Emmanuel? Yes, we do. Go to chapter 8. Yeah, Isaiah. 8, 8 to 10. Somebody read it. Uh Uh-huh. Emmanuel, that's the name, direct address, your land, this Assyrian threat is going to come and give you the death throes. See, he's going to get right up around you. And, okay, there's a reference probably to Assyria coming against Judah is later, see, than, than that particular time, but it's a little later than that time. In 701, you ever hear of that word, 701? Hezekiah is the king. Uh, the king of Assyria has sent a, a uh, general that surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and he says, I, in his annals, this king, Sennacherib, he says, I took 46 or 49 of his strongest cities and I shut him up like a bird in a cage. He laid seats to him and this guy standing outside the wall threatening him and saying, you can't even, if I give you a thousand horses and you put uh, uh, riders on them, what what good is it going to do you? I mean... Our king has blown away uh, bigger cities than you, bigger nations than you. Not do you any good. What's your God? I mean, Hezekiah, he took away all the altars and all these things. His God doesn't like him. See, his God doesn't like him. Besides that, it's God that told me to come and take you away. That's what's behind this. See, and I, this child, see, he's directing his words to him. This child who's already been born, he's making the statement, and the statement is a statement of faith because 
God is with us. He says, do your damnedest. Do your damnedest. You can threaten us all you want to. It's not going to happen because God is with us. And I think, I'm not sure, I don't know who Emmanuel, uh, who the woman is. And I don't know who Emmanuel is, particularly. I've given you some op- options in the notes, uh, in the side of the notes. It's not Hezekiah, because he's too old. He's already bur- uh, b- uh, born. It's not Jesus, because that's 700 years too late. It's, uh, uh, it's not Isaiah's son and his uh, second wife. Because the time frames are different, he's already got a name that signifies something else. Meher Shalal Hashbaz, which means hasten to the booty, hasten to the plunder. Which means those people are going to plunder us. Oh, wow. Hasten the booty, hasten to the plunder. No salvation there. No God is with us there. It's not him. So the possibility is that it's a virgin who's come into Ahaz's court, or it's a possibility that it's just some young woman. Okay, but what's her testimony? No, what's the testimony of the young woman? She names her child Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So she has faith, but Ahaz, does he have faith? No, no. No, he didn't. He didn't turn from... What do we call that, by the way, in literary, in literary terms? How is she functioning in terms of her relationship to Ahaz? Yeah, she's a foil. Okay. The king, by the way, is what? What, what kind of resources does he have? Okay, he's got all the resources of the kingdom. He's got the army. He, he's got that, see? And he's got whatever other resources God could supply. I mean, this king is surrounding this prophet, Elijah, Elijah. And, his, and this guy says, Hey, we're in trouble here. Look at all our forces. Look at all our forces. What does he say to him? What does, I, what does that prophet say? Lord, open his eyes so he can see who's with him. Jesus, when he was in the garden, said, I don't have to fight you. See, if God wanted to, he could, he could bring, he could bring a thousand legions. How many is that? Huh? Well, and that's what happened, by the way. In 701, what happened? There was a plague in the camp, and the, and the Assyrians turned tail and, and, and went. How much did they have to fight? None. Can God do that? How much resources do you have behind you? Okay, so what do you have to do? You have to have faith. See, if you don't believe, you won't stand. 
But if you believe, see, God can, and he may or might, it's up to God. It's not up to you, it's up to God. Who are you trusting in? God. See, don't trust in Assyria. Trust in God. We were talking about that, uh, Paul and I were talking about but we were also talking about it in the Mids buddy, uh, Bible study, see. You get in trouble, you, you, you don't have an, enough money to pay the bills. What are you going to do? Mortgage your house. Go down to the title uh, thing, borrow the money. Okay, what's that doing? Well, that's that's better, by the way, than doing the other because what's going to happen if you if you do the other? Okay. The problem, see, is we're always looking for a way to get out of our own problems without trusting in God. See, the point of this passage, and if we don't get any, well. You can look at the rest of it, by the way. There are all kinds of things that are going on in this passage. But that's the point of this passage. Believe in God. Go on into 8th chapter and look at how the thing ends. Let's just read the the latter part of the 8th chapter. Uh, Last 8 verses or so. Uh, 16 and following. I needed to start a little uh, earlier. said, uh, it will not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, which is, walk in the way of this people, which is what? Trust in Assyria. Trust in alliances. Trust in other things. Don't call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Who did they fear? Syria and Ephraim. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Israel. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. (laughs) Are you going to make God your sanctuary? Or are you going to stumble over all these other things of safety? Stumbling stones. Yes. Bind up the testimony... Seal the teaching among my disciples. What testimony and teaching is he talking about? The testimony and teaching. Believe in God. Don't stumble over other sources of security. Isn't this passage great? It also, by the way, has a whole bunch of figures for the Assyrians. They're, uh, they're a, uh, a river, they're bees, they're uh, something else. I mean, yeah, they're flies. What is he, what is he doing? He's emphasizing the, the number, the power, the overflowingness. See, 
He's not minimizing the uh, the problem. He's well aware of the problem, but he's maximizing the solution to the problem, which is God is with us. Can you preach that? Can you apply that? See, it doesn't have to be uh, the uh, uh, Syrians, etc. It can be all any number of things. Does God promise to be with you? Yes. Is He worthy of our trust? Yes. This is what we hope that you get out of the the course. And I have to say. I didn't have some of this. I didn't have the last part of this planned out. The passages came to me in the dead of the night when I wasn't sleeping. And I said, you know, praise God for his word. Praise God for my helper. And praise God for you. Thank you.